Our talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Lee Marie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. And we are going in to a texture question that we got as part of our, uh, I guess it was a rant or a rapid fire, but sometimes people send in things and they're so good that I grab them and I say, well, this is not a seven minute answer. Although seven minute answers don't exist on Buckeye Talk anyway. This is not an 11 minute answer. Ah, 11. This is not a 26 minute answer. This is a whole pod. And that's what I did with this one from our guy, Cullen in Boston who I guess it was Rance because first he said, I hate that I go to the doctor and the first thing they do is weigh, we, weigh me with my shoes and clothes on. Then they have the nerve to record my weight mm-hmm. as 240.3 pounds. I'm like, you realize I'm wearing five pounds of clothing. If you want to really be accurate at, le- at this, at least let me take my shoes off. I like that I got to eight words into doctors weighing you with their clothes on. And Nathan and Stephen were both like, yep, yep, yep. That is atrocious. Nathan, you're offended. Well, you agree here. Oh, I agree a thousand percent. And it really throws you off if you're trying to to manage your weight or get your weight down, trying to be a little healthier, and you think you're at a certain weight, and then you go into the doctor and their their scales, and especially if they're gonna if they're gonna let you have you keep all those clothes on, including your shoes, then don't give me the point three. Like round that thing down. Don't give me a fraction. That that that's nonsense. My problem with it is they don't really tell you if it's good or bad. They just write it down and keep on moving. And I'm always like, is that good? Is that bad? Do I look this way? And then the nurse will be like, no, 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 you look fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's like, that doesn't look fine. <laughs> Give me now, more information. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm I'm also not in favor of just stripping down in the hall to get a lower weight on my – and maybe, you know, they're doctors. They go to school for a while. They're pretty smart. Maybe they can do that math in their head. It should be like the combine. That like you come out, not stripped down, mm. but you you know, like the Tom Brady shot, like you have little shorts on and your shirts off and you're just standing there and it's just like, it's okay. Or they should take you, they could, they could weigh you with all your clothes on and they just take you right into a room with the therapist where they can just talk you through the fact that it's okay. We know you're wearing a sweater. It's fine. I, now we'll go to the doctor. It's okay. I think the, I, I, actually the strategy is just make sure all of your doctor's appointments, your, your annual physical is always in the summer and you can just show up in like flip flops and a really like thin t-shirt and a pair of gym shorts and no socks. You know what I mean? Just, just very, as little clothing as possible. It really is the combine. It's the combine, except you don't have to like talk to people like us after you do all that poking and prodding. That would be, we got to go do media now. Sorry about your sweater, Stephen, but now you got to go do media and explain why you weigh 1.6 pounds more than you thought you should. Yeah, but apparently you can also just say, oh, sorry, my medicals went long. I'm not available for interviews. Mm, Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Your medicals would always go long. Okay, so Cullen then had an actual question, which is why we're here, and we're talking about mini dynasties. And the question was this. Ohio State has missed its window to build a mini dynasty. And again, it's actually not a question. It's a rant. Cullen's stating this. He's saying Ohio State has missed it, missed the mini dynasty window. When the playoffs expand, it will be harder to win multiple titles in a short period of time. It will be even harder. It will be harder to win a title, period. Bama capitalized, Clemson capitalized, Georgia capitalized. Ohio State did not. I'm not saying Ohio State won't win titles. I just think that the window to build a dynasty and capture two to three titles in a short period of time has closed. That's Cullen and Boston. That's what we're doing here. And to start, we are dispensing with the semantics of mini dynasty. It's multiple titles in a short period of time. Everybody's definition is a little bit different, but we're not going to come on here and be like, well, would three and seven or two and three or three? Whatever your definition is, we're going to talk about that. So 
We're going to talk about it in three ways. Would the offense be good enough for Ohio State to still have a mini dynasty going forward? Would the defense be good enough? And then the structure, the structure of the sport, the schedule, those kind of things, because that really matters. And then I have a historical look at what I think are one, two, three, four, five missed opportunities in the last 60 years at mini dynasties that Ohio State had five opportunities within there. And they never, I would say they never got it done. So let's start with offense. And Steven, we'll start with the first, the idea. I think you have to stack quarterbacks. Is that correct? As we're talking about multiple titles in a short window of time, I think you have to start at quarterback. And do we believe that part of the equation would be possible for Ohio State? And we're doing this on the heels of the Air Nolan commitment over the weekend. Is there a quarterback recruiting and development in, a, in good enough shape to believe they will have a national championship caliber quarterback most of the time to allow this to be a possibility yes I think of the the variables that have to exist now because I don't necessarily think that stacking quarterbacks is how you had to do it maybe in the early 2010s or even the 2000s just because of how football was played but that part of it has been taken care of basically since the moment Ryan Day showed up here as an offensive coordinator that was his goal and he's done that, whether it's getting Jack Miller as a top 100 recruit early. And obviously when things went awry, they're going back out and getting a top 100 recruit in CJ Stroud, having Dwayne Haskins, you know, this is uh, rest in peace, you know, a, a year later to, to Dwayne Haskins, having him really emphasize that point in 2018 with those 50 touchdown passes and 4,000 plus passing yards that year. Justin Fields building on top of that, CJ Stroud building on top of that, having Kyle McCord, a five-star, Devin Brown, even with things going awry with what Quinn Ewers and Dylan Rayola were, and then now Aaron Nolan, the top 100 quarterback, who right now is number 84 and number eight among quarterbacks. But this is Ohio State. He may rise just because he's Ohio State's quarterback commit now, but the point of the matter is he's a top 100 recruit. Where that position is now, you're not ever worried about the recruiting of it, and we're not really necessarily worried about the development of it at this point, that you just expect Ohio State's quarterback to be at a certain level that you can probably just check that off the checkboard every every year of whether or not they're going to have that. So, Nathan, we know what the past has been, but as we go forward, it will be interesting to watch how the Ohio State quarterback this season plays compared to how Quinn Ewers plays, because that's a, 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 you know, a sliding door of maybe what could have been. And then we certainly made a big deal when they got a Dylan Rayola commitment. We made a big deal when they got a Dylan Rayola decommitment. Now Air Nolan, who again is very highly ranked, not as highly ranked as Dylan Rayola, but that will be something I think that we compare, just like we're also comparing Kyle McCord and J.J. McCarthy. When you, when you think forward right now, when you think about McCord, Brown, Lincoln Keenholz, Air Nolan, does that feel like mini dynasty possibility standard, Nathan? Because if you threw Dylan Rayola there instead, or if, you know, if Arch Manning had come here, or if Quinn, you, you know, that would be even a little better. But as the guys that are stacked right now, does it feel enough? Yes, uh, partially in, because it's in conjunction with what that receiving core is and will presumably continue to be as long as Brian Hartline is here. I think that's an important element to this, that it is, you know, having a quarterback who's a playmaker can do all those things is, is crucial. But there's just so much talent in that receiver room and that the churn that keeps happening there. Um, I guess churns by even the right word, just the continued stockpiling that happens there and just sort of pushing through each class. 
um, is a big part of, of why this offense is as great as it is. I will say we need to be a little bit careful because as good as these other quarterbacks are, as highly ranked as they are, like we've made a point uh, for good reason other times when Ohio State has not had plan A work out and had to fall back on plan B. And you can look down the road two years later, three years later, and say, oh, you know what? If the plan A had worked out, then maybe this happens. Instead, plan B happens and still may be good, but not quite there. I mean, running back's one example of that. The offensive line, I would say they haven't even been able to get plan B at times at some important places on the offensive line. So quarterback is um, maybe a little bit different because they're not dropping down to another tier. You're still getting super elite guys and, and guys that every program in the country would still take. But I'm just keeping that in the back of my head because by this standard, by the many dynasty standard, because you have to be so good over such a long period of time that you probably uh, have somebody who elevates a team that otherwise shouldn't win one or somebody who can is so good that they can hold off a challenge from a team that just rises up that year and ordinarily would be maybe the best team in football. You still find a way to beat them. So let me let's dispense maybe more briefly, with the things from a player standpoint that could potentially hold them back. We don't have to dive back into the tackle discussion for 2023 because I think people know what that discussion is. We're going to continue to have it until they kick off the first game of the season. Nathan, is there anything at other positions on offense besides quarterback and receiver? So offensive line, running back, tight end, that we believe has the potential to hold them back offensively to prevent them from, okay, well, you know, they were really good, but, you know, because I think you could look at last year and be like the injuries in the, in the backfield. Yep. Now you can't predict the injuries, but if those, if the run game issues were maybe for reasons other than injury, right. But we also go back to, well, if they had Bijan Robinson, I don't know. They might've been lifting a trophy. That idea that man, they were good. They just weren't quite good enough. Is that on your radar at all? That the, the other positions on offense could be not quite up to that, that mini dynasty standard. And again, Final caveat for the podcast, we are beyond the national championship standard here. We are at the multiple national championship standard. I don't know what higher, it's like, ah, do you think Ohio State could go undefeated for an entire decade? Or do you think possibly, you know, the interior offensive line could lead to one loss in 10 years? We are at a ridiculous standard. But it's the framing that we've chosen for this podcast, Nathan. What do we think of the other positions? I absolutely think you have to look at uh, especially the offensive line and, and somewhat the, the, the running back group and say that those are things that if there isn't a correction there, then especially with the offensive line, then that could be a thing that holds you back from this level, this level of achievement. Because as you say, we even saw it at times last year that as, as, as great as CJ Stroud was, as great as Marvin Harrison Jr. and the other receivers were, there were times where lack of execution in the run game, and yes, injuries were a factor, but where that was holding Ohio State back and, and cost them against Michigan. That's one of the reasons why you score three points in the second half against Michigan. It's, it's you know, it, it plays a role in why you're one point short against Georgia, although, again, that's a very high standard. But that's where you're going to be. You're going to be – that's where it's going to show up the most um, when you're playing the very best other teams in the country. So that's definitely something I'm keeping in mind, and especially as it relates to the offensive line, because unlike with running back, where running back was, was very injury – caused last season and you know they've already got peoples coming in they're already doing good running back recruiting although i guess my plan a plan b thing could apply there too but they're they're mm. they're, they're making strides in running back recruiting that is starting to work out 
Um, that isn't happening yet at the offensive line. It's just not like they are not getting major offensive line prospects, national offensive line prospects yet under Justin Fry, really. They're getting good in-state guys. They're getting developmental in-state guys. We're not seeing the big splash yet. I think that big splash is going to have to come before you can start talking about a mini dynasty. Uh, well, I don't know. I would call Ian Moore a pretty big get. I know he's next door in Indiana, but that guy, some people think he's the best tackle in the country, regardless of what 247 sports. So it, it's coming. But That's your point is correct. To national, yeah, yeah. To, to, it, your point is, is valid here. So far, just, Justin Fry has done what he is supposed to do. And now that he's not necessarily trying to dig out of a hole, can you do more than that? I, I agree with that. I don't know if I agree with the running back point, though. Um, because I, I honestly think that that was literally just injuries. Because even against Georgia, Mayan Williams forced his way into a touchdown that I think only Mayan Williams would have been able to do. And then we just didn't see him for the rest of the game because he was dealing with whatever he was dealing with, being sick and all that other stuff. So I honestly just think with the running back room, it's just get healthy. So if we are done with the 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 era of the offensive line coach is not good at recruiting offensive linemen who don't live within a three-hour radius of you, if, that, if those days are over, I think the offense is fine. And outside of abduction by aliens, which, I mean, this is sports. It happens. So let's talk about the two most important non-players associated with the offense, Brian Hartline and Ryan Day. Stephen, we'll start with Brian Hartline. Does this only apply as long as Brian Hartline is on Ohio State staff? Or because this is so, so I think this is the future that you would have to prepare for with Brian Hartline. I think at this stage with getting ready for for Ryan Day to hand over the play calling to Brian Hartline. I just think the only next step for him is a head coaching job. This is not this is just like reading tea leaves and it's not a Mac job. I it's a Power 5 job. And it's got to be a good Power 5 job with an AD he trusts, a president he trusts in a, a place where you can recruit and where you have an actual chance to win. I don't think it's it's not yet to the Kirby Smart stand at Bama till he gets the Georgia job level. It's not that, but you know, like we're gonna start approaching that kind of level. Maybe not quite Brent Venable sticking around until he gets the Oklahoma job, but but close. And it yeah, in another two or three years, that might that might be where we are. That yeah. that's like okay. Well, if Brian Hartline can get the Penn State job or the UCLA job or the Clemson job, then he'll go. But if other than that, I mean, he's just gonna be here. Mm-hmm. But they have Keenan Bailey here. Keenan Bailey has been someone that's been trusted by Ryan Day. He's been involved in receiver recruiting in the past. He seems smart. He builds relationships. Is this a Brian Hartline specific dynasty possibility era, Stephen? Or with this Ryan Day offense, the way they play offense, will there still be enough appeal that Hartline gets a lot of individual credit, but it doesn't mean that? they will no longer be able to recruit the best receivers in the country if Brian Hartline's not here. Can the answer be yes to both of those scenarios? Yeah. Am I allowed to? Okay, cool. Because it's, I'll even throw in, maybe he just really wants to coach in the NFL one day just because he's an NFL guy. So I'll throw that out there as well, but I'm going to use Jeremiah Smith for this. Jeremiah Smith is probably the best player in the country. And as guaranteed a hit of a prospect at wide receiver as we've seen in a while. People compare him to Julio Jones. And he is only coming to Ohio State because Brian Hartline is employed at the Ohio State University. He is to Brian Hartline what Chase Young was to Larry Johnson in terms of it makes zero sense why that kid is coming to Columbus. 
except that coach is here, so he's coming here. No Larry Johnson, no Chase Young, no Brian Hartline, no Jeremiah Smith. And it's why every writer in the South keeps poking at the idea that Miami might flip him one day. It's because of what you just kind of point out. What if Brian Hartline leaves? Because if he does leave, he's not coming. Every receiver's not like that, but guys like him, guys like Brandon Innes, uh, Carnell Tate, those type of guys who would probably be in the SEC if Hartline weren't here, I don't know if that keeps up just because Ryan Day and the offense and the quarterbacks. You need like that extra piece, just like Ohio State's defenses were awesome in the 2010s. But I don't know if that would have been enough to keep Chase from going to Alabama if Larry Johnson wasn't here. So it is a, it's just as much about, oh, look at the quarterback play. Look at the offense they're running. It's all awesome. That maybe keeps the quarterbacks coming. But I don't think without Hartline here, you keep every year getting a dude who's probably the best wide receiver in the country to come here. You're not going to know until it happens. Yeah. So at, And then it's going to be because if Brian Hartline leaves and goes to another college job, and that's all, that's as good or almost as good as Ohio State. And it's like, well, then the, the receivers just go with him, right? Mm-hmm. Now that Ohio State, it's not even that Ohio State just lost him. It's now Ohio State's competing against him. That would be a thing. But, or if he goes to the NFL and he's gone altogether, it's like, well, well, who are those guys going to build relationships now? Well, they still throw the ball here at Ohio State and, and Keenan Bailey becomes the receivers coach and, he, you know, or whatever. Um, you, you won't know for sure. In all situations, the best circumstances in recruiting are a perfect combination of individual coach and program and structure. And so that is feeding on itself right now at Ohio State. And you take one part of the equation away, you don't know exactly how it's going to work out. So I think it's, I don't think it's the death knell. I don't think the only reason that Ohio State's good is because Brian Hartline's an assistant coach here, but you would really have to have a solution. It's like, what's next? Which also might be why Ryan Day was like, Keenan Bailey, Bailey, stay, 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 stay. It's good. It's good. Keenan Bailey didn't play in the NFL and didn't play at Ohio State and didn't blow people up with special teams blocks and all those things. And Keenan Bailey can't make that part of his resume. It's not. But there are other things that Keenan Bailey can, you know, replicate some of the Brian Hartline experience. So I think we all will will keep that in mind. There's not we're not going to come to a conclusion on that. But, Stephen, I think you make very good points about there are some special individual efforts here by a singular coach. The other thing here is Ryan Day, Nathan. And he's not going anywhere. Or if he's going somewhere, then we're changing. I mean, like then what, if, you know, I think once a head coach quits, you just delete all the previous podcasts because it's like, I well, agree. those don't matter anymore. And now we're having a Luke Fickle conversation or now, we're ha- you know, now we're having a Mel Tucker conversation or whatever. It's just like a Brian Hartline conversation. So like, it's just a new world. So what are we talking about? But, you know, this idea, Nathan, of, of, from an when we're having an offensive conversation about the head coach when all spring we've been talking about how the head coach is more than just offense now he's really trying hard to do that but how much is that integral to this idea Nathan that in the end the head coach is also a very good offensive schemer and that that will remain part of Ohio State's high level identity as long as he's here or will it if he's backing off, do we think that could change anything from a specific, the offense is good enough to be a mini dynasty standpoint? Yeah, I still think the, the scheme part of it, it's still going to be so based on him. He's still going to be on the headset. He can still pull that back when he needs to at critical moments. Uh, and I think that in, over time, um, that relinquishing that to Hartline is probably not going to seem 
as big a deal three, four, five years down the line at, at the worst. So I'm still, I still think of day being essential to this concept much more from a quarterback recruiting and development side than the scheme side of it. I think the scheme is just here. I mean, the scheme is here. Um, it, it's a matter of does he continue this streak of just consistently like being able to get his guy and being able to develop his guy. And and when they hit a bump in the road, um, to kind of go back to the point I was making before, when you get Ewers decommits, when you get a Riola who, who backs out, then when you have to go to a plan B, are you still shopping from that same luxury aisle or are you dropping down? You know what I mean? Like you can't go two or three years. A quarterback, the quarterback recruiting, especially in the NIL era, is probably going to be just as crazy as it is right now for a while. And if you're going to attack, for, I think you still have to be involved. Kind of going back to um, some of the conversations we've had on the pod recently, that um, if you're still going to be involved, and I think Ohio State has to be involved at that highest level, uh, to, just because that's the identity of this program, then when it doesn't work out, for whatever reason, is your fallback still near that level or are you dropping back down as they have had to at the, at the offensive line? Like the, as, as much as it's hurt them on the offensive line, the stakes are much higher at quarterback. So let's wrap the offensive thing here. We're being very disciplined here. We do this now sometimes. We plan a podcast before we have a meeting, so we have a hard out. If we didn't have this hard out, we're looking at a three-hour podcast, or we're looking at a four-part podcast series because we're like diving into each part of this program isn't good enough in this area to sustain the possibility of a mini-dynasty. My bones want a six-hour podcast on that. We're not going to do it as we... <laughs> It's a spring game on Saturday. We're squeezing in. Colin asked too good of a question. Colin, I blame you. Nathan, we have to get a yes and no answer on the three segments here that we're doing. Offense, defense, and then the structure. Do we believe that Ohio State's offense will be good enough to sustain the possibility of a mini dynasty going forward? Yes or no? Yes. Steven? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. Which brings us to defense, and we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, 614-350-3315. If you want to, try the texts, which means you will get a bunch of texts from us during the spring game on Saturday. Well, you'll be watching on TV, and then we'll hopefully be analyzing things as they happen that help you enjoy the game even more. Two-week free trial, $3.99 a month after that. Very easy to stop. Defensively, I think if you looked, if you looked in this recent, you know, I can do a little bit of this now. It's like, why why haven't they been a little bit of a of a mini dynasty here before? Um, 2013, like the end of 2013, the loss to, to Michigan State in the Big Ten Championship game, I think they just kind of kind of bungled the some of the decision making. Like I think they had good enough guys. The Christian Bryan injury killed them and they didn't get it done. 14, they went at 15. They're the most talented team in the country and they can't get out of their own way. I think there's some motivational things there. The quarterback battle screwed them up. That was just that was logistics. 16, the offense is not good enough. It is not good enough. And they, so that, so Ryan Day said, or Urban Meyer says, okay, well, we got to change that. And they bring in Ryan Day. Now the offense gets to be good enough. And then in 18, we see it's like the defense is not good enough. So then it's like, okay, Urban Meyer's gone. Ryan Day's like, Greg Schiano, we can't do this again. They bring in Jeff Halfley. 19, they're right there. Then Jeff Halfley leaves. 20, they go to Kerry Combs. The defense is not good enough. 21, the defense is not good enough. They make changes there. And then last year, like they're right there again. 
and a couple things happen. So I do think we've seen in this small period of time, sort of structure, offense, and defense at various times has all, they've all been the things that have held them back in certain moments. But defensively, Nathan, they got a $2 million a year guy that I think might end his career here. Jim Knowles' presence, how much is that part of this conversation? And do you believe that he is a long-term fix to make the defensive side of this equation possible? I didn't really think about his scheming as being the most essential part of this. I think it's it's talent attraction, talent retention, talent development. I think that's where Ohio State has lacked the most on defense. It's it's going out and getting the best players in the country and 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 then develop them, developing them to that elevated level. The way I mean, go back to the dudes podcast that we just dropped the other day and how many dudes that were on defense from 2014 through 2019. Like it's an extended period of time where you've got like two guys a year who are or two, three, four who are just transformational defensive players. And then just nothing since then, just a drought now. And we, we think that should probably change in 2023, but it's hard to put a lot of money on that. And I don't know that until that changes, if I really believe that it, it, this could be dynastic because that, that when it's not, when it's just like pretty good, then, then your offense has to be even better. Like it, 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 that, well, I know we're, we're, we're scoring these separately, but they're related because, you know, LSU 2019 had a pretty good defense, but it probably wasn't good enough defense to be the greatest team of all time if it didn't have the most amazing offense. You know what I'm saying? So it's, there is these do play off of each other a little bit. And uh, I think this offense is good enough, but it's probably, it's going to have to be really good unless this defense starts to raise a little bit. And I think now you'd, you'd argue it's already started styles Hicks, but it's, it's until we see that, see the returns of that on the field. That I think is still the thing that is missing the most is just when is this program going to develop that level of defensive player again? First round NFL defensive talent. Retweet, like, favorite, bookmark, share, repost, everything else. I mean, vampire request. Yeah, vampire, all of it. Um, subscribe. I mean, I, I, 2018 is probably. There are a lot of issues with that 2018 defense. How much is that get solved if Nick Bosa doesn't get hurt? And you just you just drop that in as a dude who you know is going to get 12 sacks. A large chunk. Not all of it, but a large, a large and, and, But But and using that as – did play playing through injuries. Right. But he, but he, like to use that in the example now, like Jim Lowell's, that's a that's been a good hire, and we'll see it continue to build on itself. Jack Sawyer and JT Tuimaloa are the highest, two highest-rated defensive players Ohio State has ever signed. We got to see that, that the recruiting profiles of some of these guys start paying off when they actually start play fo- playing football. And you can throw whenever we do get to see C.J. Hicks play extended role, Sonny Styles, uh, Jordan Hancock, all these guys. Like, their recruit, they, the recruiting hasn't been terrible for most of these businesses. Now, the cornerback recruiting went a little awry once Kerry Combs left. But I think that Tim Walton is starting to fix that. And I think this is a very important year just on the field and in the recruiting cycle for Tim Walton and cementing that the cornerback room will get back to what it should be. But everywhere else, the recruiting hasn't been so bad that the defenses have been the way that they've looked the last couple of years here. So we guys just got to start playing like the players we think they are. When we when they commit, 
But that, but then that is a coaching discussion, right? It's not as much a talent. It's a development discussion, yeah. which is a discussion of the guys here on the defensive side of the ball. It's hard when you're trying to look at a group of years because the players are going to run through, but the coaches stay. So, so that's why, you know, I sort of, my instinct is to lean the conversation to the highly paid adults right away because those are the guys that are going to stick around. It has been Knowles' ability. When Ohio State was sort of a defense first team in the Trestle era, right? Um, You know, early in Trestle, they have Mark Snyder and they have Mark D'Antonio and but Luke Fickle is part of that very quickly. And Jim Haycock is a carryover from the John Cooper era. And then D'Antonio leaves and after the national championship and they wind up leaning on Jim Haycock and Luke Fickle as co-defensive coordinators for, for basically the entire rest of Trestle's tenure. And they're a defense first program. And there's a lot of continuity and stability on the defensive side of the ball. And you are running People and again, are they getting the Chase Youngs of the world? Not necessarily, but man, they are they are turning some kind of lower rated guys into Cam mm-hmm. Hayward and James Laurinaitis and AJ Hawk and Malcolm Jenkins and Dante Whitner, and they are getting some very Nathan, as you said, first round NFL type of production from the defensive side of the ball. And you know what it looks like and feels like. Because Haycock and Fickle are here. Trestle has a style of play that suits that. And so then with, with Urban, when you you get into a situation where, you know, Luke is here and then Chris Ash is here and then he's gone and then Greg Schiano comes in, but you kind of know Schiano's I mean, he's an overqualified guy, but he's not a he's not a long timer here. He's waiting for the next opportunity to come open for him to be a head coach somewhere. And then you get the Jeff Halfley and he's one and done and he's gone. I it's why I started with Jim Knowles, Nathan, because I just wonder if if you can establish something and keep it. And I thought maybe it was going to be Kerry Combs and it just didn't it didn't work. But Knowles has a much longer resume than Kerry Combs as a defensive coordinator when he gets here. And maybe he's not in a hurry to be a head coach again. I, he's not an NFL guy. He's not going to get a better job in college. He's the highest paid defensive coordinator in college football. So what if he's here for eight years? What if he is the Brent Venables or the Kirby Smart of this situation? Yes, they have to recruit and develop talent, but is that not a a, a primary component of this kind of discussion? Or are you maybe just holding out for like, yes, we know he's good, great, but show me Ryan Chazier and Marshawn Lattimore and Chase Young, and then I will feel better about this conversation. Yeah, because at the same time, yes, Brent Venables was there for a long time at Clemson, but when they were winning national championships, so were a lot of really great defensive players. And like that's, I think Mm -hmm. you've got to find those guys. And I I, I understand where you're coming from on this, uh, but I think in terms of like what we're talking about, if you're getting great players, then I think it's just a matter of not having a coordinator who screws that up or a system that screws that up. I think the yeah. system can be like you can it has to be a solid foundation, but it doesn't have to be as schemy. It doesn't have to be you're 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 pulling rabbits out of the hat and and making magic happen out there every Saturday. There's an extent to which you can let those great players just go be great. 
you can you can back off the scheme or you can be a lot more subtle with the scheme. And, and Knowles has even talked about that a little bit. The when if you can start coaching this secondary up, let, let's bring this conversation back to 2023 if, if they're trying to start this mini dynasty now. Like which which they are obviously. Like if 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 they can get this secondary to play up a level above what it did last year. If you can get a little bit more pass rush out of this front than you did last year. Um although it was actually Sack rate wise, it's actually pretty good last year. But if you know what I'm saying, like all those things, now it allows you to let that guy eat. And now you just have to you you can focus your scheming a little bit more. It's but you've got to get players who are playing at that next level. And it is coaching. It's just not just on Knowles. It's the whole staff. Like this whole staff has to do better than it has the last couple, three years. And some of these guys weren't here, obviously, to to obtain that kind of first round talent and then coach up first round talent. So I think when we talk about now other coaches in this recruiting and development, because the players have to be outstanding, I think you could see a world where Tim Walton and Perry Eliano maybe are here for a bit, right? Tim Walton's an alum. He's done the NFL thing. He's been a coordinator in the NFL. Perry is a guy who is still on the way up, you know, was Mm -hmm. grinding it out at much smaller programs not that long ago. Certainly, maybe he would jump for an opportunity to be a defensive coordinator, but but also, you know, he yeah. he could be here for a little stretch. And then I do think James Laurinaitis enters this conversation because I think we all believe that James Laurinaitis, wherever whether they expand the coaching staff or he just becomes a linebackers coach, whatever, is going to be a, a probably a primary part of the recruiting and development on the defensive side of the ball. And then I think we have to think about what's after Larry Johnson. And this is not pushing Larry Johnson out the door, but he's not going to be here forever. And if we're talking about can they win multiple titles in the next five or six years, I think you have to think about what's next. Steven, does that group, right, beyond Knowles, does it feel like recruiting and development? Does that feel like a group that can sustain the possibility of a mini dynasty on the defensive side of the ball? With holds on who the person that re- eventually replaces Larry Johnson might be, and that might end up being a sliding scale as it feels like Larry stays year after year after year. James Laurinaitis has a chance to be a home run for basically the reasons why Brian Hartline was a home run, and he's already having that impact. There are guys who were highly, highly considering going to Notre Dame, have now pivoted, and are now highly, highly considering Ohio State. One of those guys being Peyton Pierce uh, out of Texas. He's a number 15 linebacker. In the country, number 151 player, uh, that's a guy that I would say keep an eye on. That, that, that's already starting to happen. So what happens when James Laurinaitis can now leave the campus because he's eventually going to be the linebacker's coach here? This it just looks like that's where that's going here. I think that's a home run. We'll see with Perry. I think Perry being on the way up, I think he can be a home run. But also, I think he could very easily be another Jeff Halfley situation where if he gets the right year where the recruiting was amazing and Sonny Styles is the best defensive player in the country, he turns that into a job somewhere. He just seems the most likely to do that of the guys currently on the staff. While Tim Walton, he's kind of been around the way a little bit. So you might, it would be fair to expect him to be around for a little bit. So I do think you have a good combination of guys where it's alumni who will stick around for a while because why would they want to leave? And guys who have Alter bigger motivations to discontinue their career, which is what you want at a staff at a place like Ohio State. You want that, you know, combination of things because you already have it on the offensive side. You just haven't really had it defensively for the last couple of years. I think we saw it at its best when Ohio State was getting great defensive talent. Larry Johnson and Kerry Combs are both working it. They were both mm-hmm. recruiting and they were both developing. 
And so then you start looking to say, okay, well, like that's a great pairing. What can you do? And I think maybe when Ryan Day started, maybe you would have looked and said Al Washington and Jeff Halfley, could those guys be the next version of that recruit and develop? And then one left right away and one just that kind of didn't ever completely lock in. And now Al Washington is doing his thing at Notre Dame. Maybe Nathan, Tim Walton and James Laurinaitis. Like if we're trying to project this out at all, if you're looking for like, okay, do they have guys who can recruit it and develop it? Uh, you know, I think the the Calvin Simpson hunt story with Tim Walton just feels mm-hmm. like very like, okay, like, okay. And again, that this guy's been in the league and has helped some very, very high level cornerbacks develop into tremendous players. I don't know, Nathan, maybe, maybe there's some of the right guys in place here to get to the type of player that you are talking about, which absolutely is the deal. But what's going to get the players here and what's going to bring out the best of the players once they are here? That's the coaches. Yeah, and I would even extend it. You know, with, with Perry Eliano, he already kind of had his big splash positionally at Cincinnati with, with Sauce Gardner and, and Bryant and then, like, use that to springboard to the Ohio State job. So, and, and he already had, like, one kind of iffy experience um, uh, as a defensive coordinator, and I think he's going to just be very selective on the next gig. Uh, but he'll be a head coach someday too. I think. I think he'll probably get that opportunity at some point in his career too. Maybe back in Texas. Uh, just a long, a long-winded way of saying though, I think this is a staff that that could potentially stick together again, depending on how long Larry Johnson sticks it out. But as I look at this defense, I really just see that secondary. And again, we're seeing the signs of it: Styles and Simpson Hunt and some other guys. Like, but it's the second, the level of play in the secondary has to has to elevate again. It can't just be um, solid guys, mid-round guys, um, guys who are like here for four or five years and put in good careers. Those are valuable guys. I'm not saying those aren't really valuable guys. You can win national championships with those guys. But this thing that we're talking about, this happens with elite NFL players. And uh, you know, Georgia's had elite NFL players all over its defense the last couple of years. Ohio State needs to find players like that. Yeah, I think the is there anything within the structure of Ohio State, how it's currently constituted, Stephen, that would prevent this from happening, right? We're talking about individual coaches develop recruiting and developing individual players. Is Ohio State behind the eight ball, though, because, hey, man, they chuck it around. It's Brian Hartline and Ryan Day, like they're an offensive program. Or that, I don't know, are there so many of the best defensive players who are in the South and Southwest that they're just, it's just harder to recruit? Like, is there is there any reason that Ohio State can't recruit and develop great defensive players all the time with the way they they do business right now where's the proof that a kid from florida should come up here and do that or more importantly where's the proof that a kid from georgia which is where a lot of these defensive players defensive players and tight ends are typically coming from where's the proof that they should leave the two-time national championship proof for it to come up here and do that which you could sell that point with Jeff Okuda, who was from Texas in 2017. You could sell it with Chase Young because Nick Bosa, you know, Eli Apple, Brandon Roby, Denzel Ward, you know, it was 
you had proof in the pudding, which was interesting. It was like the two positions where you absolutely needed to be good at in college football, Ohio State was absolutely good at, and it kept building on itself. Now you're seeing it offensively. You need to be good at quarterback and receiver. It's the proof of the pudding for why these guys should come up here. It's also why every year we're going to be in a situation where we're going to be heading into the summer, and you're going to look at Ohio State's recruiting classes, and the offensive side is awesome. And you're like, where are the defensive recruits? Where's the proof that defensive recruits should come up here? Let's get them up here in June and go on official visits and see if we can get some of them to believe in what we're doing here. And then in July, maybe we see some guys pop and maybe we don't see guys pop. Maybe Caleb Downs ends up with NIL, whatever, with all these situations, whatever. But the fact of the matter is Caleb Downs came on an official visit here, felt really good about what was going on here, and he ended up he committed to Bama. Because there's proof there that Bama is developing his position. There's no proof for Ohio State right now that it's developing his position the same way. And you can say that with everywhere else. So there's got to be a combination of, yes, recruited at a high level. Tim Walton's doing it again in this 2024 class, two, partially because two of the guys he's after are in Ohio and he's in Bryce West and Aaron Scott. But then there's a kid by the name of Zabian Brown out in California that he's recruiting hard as well, who I believe will be here for a second unofficial visit this spring on Wednesday. But it's got to be a combination of recruiting higher than maybe kind of upping your level of recruiting. But also, you just need the dudes on the roster to be dudes to kind of submit that point a little bit that the defense is going to be better. So whether it's Denzel Burke, JT Tuimaloau, Jordan Hancock, Davison, Igbenosin, Lathan Ransom, the defensive side of the ball just needs the current guys to be better than maybe we're expecting them to be, even if we already expect them to be pretty decent. Because it it goes a long way when the players on the field are producing at a high level. Just, just to kind of finish my thoughts as it relates to the secondary, like the whole BIA concept in that stretch that we were talking about when Ohio State had dudes from 2014 through 2019, that like sound that sounded like, I mean, that was a part of the identity of this program was like that they backed that up. And the wow, when they say it right now, it start it, like it can't go on much longer before it's going to start to feel like something that is a is is you you're sort of desperately trying to grab back on something in the past. It's not present. It needs to be present. Again. Yeah. Nothing recruits better than draft day. And right now the draft day doesn't look good to the defensive side of the ball. It's interesting when you think about a lot of these foundational guys, I do think sometimes you need a little bit of luck to get some guys who become great and then you sell their greatness. So like, mm-hmm. 45 seconds on this. For instance, right? Cam Hayward is down in Georgia. His family is from Pennsylvania and Ohio. He has connections here. They go down and do a great job and get Cam Hayward to come from Georgia to Ohio State, but he's got some ties here. And then Bradley Roby's mom is friends with Cam Hayward's mom, and that gets Bradley Roby here. The Boses, their mom and their uncle both mm-hmm. went to Ohio State, and Joey Bosa thought Urban Meyer was cool. So they come and they do that. Ryan Shazier was going to go to Florida to play for Urban, and then that fell apart. And then he winds up, he's going to be, so he winds up at Ohio State kind of in the back door. You think about these secondary guys. Malik Hooker is a three star from Pittsburgh. That wasn't any kind of great get. Denzel Ward, Ohio. Marshawn Lattimore, Ohio. Gary mm-hmm. Conley, Ohio. Damon Arnett, three-star guy. That was not some great recruiting get. And then they developed. So then when you get all those guys, then you have, it's like, how'd you get these guys? Well, 
there's some connections. There's some Ohio guys. There's some underrated dudes who then real Malcolm Jenkins, just a guy in New Jersey, yeah. James Ornitis, just a guy in Minnesota. They become superstars as three star recruits. So then you have all these things to go sell to Jeff Okuda. It's like, well, how did you get the stuff to sell to Jeff Okuda? Because I think when you go, you have to have Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward and Bradley Roby and Damon Arnett. Why well, is not Damon Arnett? To sell to Jeff Okuda. So you, it's not that, like you had a little help. You didn't start with Jeff Okuda. You just happened to have some Ohio guys in the secondary who went nuts. Bradley Roby's a connection goes nuts. Malcolm Jenkins is uh, overperforms his recruiting ranking. And now you get a top 10 national cornerback to come to Ohio State for no reason. There's mm-hmm. no reason Jeff Okuda should be here other than Ohio State has now developed a history of this. And his home state school, Texas, is down at the moment. And you, so I don't know, like, what, like, do they need? You're talking about those the West and Scott, right? Some local yep. kids, right? Yeah, Hicks, Styles. Man, let's see what a little let's see what little Jermaine Matthews does in your life, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, are they going to maybe rebuild this foundation, Stephen, which you then can go sell to somebody? But you have to build it before you can sell it, and they're in the process of building it back up and probably when you're building it it's local it's connections and it's underrated guys who then pop when they get here and that's what they have to do now and you can that story you can apply to how many positions i mean wide receiver terry mclaurin's your underrated guy who is now very very well paid how'd you get lucky Garrett Wilson is from Dublin, Ohio, and he spent his high school career, career playing in Texas, and he fell in love with Ryan Day. Chris Olave, underrated guy, quarterback. Dwayne Haskins was a top 100 quarterback, but I don't think anybody, when he committed, thought he was going to do what he did in 2018. Like, I don't know if right. that was necessary. You got lucky because why? There just so happens to be a guy that people thought was a generational quarterback recruit in the transfer portal at the time Ohio State needed a quarterback. And the rest is history. So, you do need luck. So where do you find the luck at? You just mentioned, I mentioned, you, we both said it, Bryce West and Aaron Scott, that's your in-state dude. Who's your underrated guy that nobody was expecting to be this good, but he's this good anyway? Denzel Burke. Denzel Burke can help Tim Walton out so much. So much. We talk, we talk about the Boses. Tyquan Lewis being a Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year and a second-round draft pick has just as much to do with getting chased on here as Nick Bosa and Joey Bosa do. Because that's all Larry Johnson right there. Joey Bosa was here when Larry Johnson already got here. So right now, the recruiting, you're trying to sell it. You need somebody to help you build it. And they have the pieces to build it, to be able to sell it. Are those pieces going to click? Which is why I understand you said some of this is on the coaches, but some of this is on can these players just help the Ohio State program out a little bit and just really perform this year? It would really help them. They It's one of these things. You can't have the goal of, we want to be successful on the field only so that we can recruit better players so we then can then can be successful on the field. It's like success on the field mm-hmm. is the standard. That's the goal. Yes. So they can't play Sonny Styles just to be cool so that Sonny Styles can be great so that that helps them recruit the next Sonny Styles from Georgia or Texas or California. They need Sonny Styles to help them win games right now. But as soon as he is ready to do that, Nathan, if Sonny Styles is like people are watching, there's a kid in Louisiana who's like, I want to be that guy. It's like, well, how'd they get Sonny Styles? It's like, I don't know. He's from Columbus and his dad played here. It's like, oh, 
Okay. But now you can get the Texas Sunny Styles. How'd they mm-hmm. get CJ Hicks? Man, I don't. Uh, he's right there. He's an hour away. But now James Laurinaitis can go try to get the, the CJ Hicks of New Jersey to come here. There are some guys here, but I think at least we can see it, Nathan, right? There's a little percolating. Again, are there are there some dude possibilities here that can now beget other dudes? But you got to start the dude process somewhere. Maybe it's restarting here a little bit. Yeah, it, it just it has to get going. And I, I wouldn't discount, you know, I, like you brought up Damon Arnett and with Kerry Combs and like that. You're right. That wasn't like a big recruiting battle win. But it's a major recruiting success that you went and found that guy down in Florida yeah. playing basketball or whatever and saw something in him and made him, you know, the Raiders made yep. him a first round pick. Ohio State didn't really make him a first round pick, <laughs> but but made him a very good college defensive back. And like that, again, it's just something that's been missing in any consistent way. And that's what that's what I think you need to start asking for from from this defense. It's yes, the scheme is great. But you've got to have coaches who are again going and finding that level of player and turning and and helping them achieve to reach whatever their ceiling is, and that's it's just been falling short of that. The quarterback thing is actually super interesting because it's I think of that line of first rounders, Jeff Okuda might have been the only one that was actually a five star recruit. A lot of those other guys were like pretty lowly well, Marshawn rated was guys. Marshawn yeah, he was, was like a, like in the 50s but yeah. also Marshawn was at like it's the from, Ohio State high school pipeline so right he wasn't literally like so it's like yeah all the rest of them I mean, Gary Conley I think might have been like top 152 but for the most of it it's a lot of like three star dudes where on recruit the day they committed I'm sure it was like oh yeah they got this three star and Doug's probably like why are we getting the three stars where are the five yeah. star recruits and then Nordonia, Nordonia, what's Nordonia? <laughs> Who's this kid in the two sixties? Denzel Ward. I never heard of that guy. Yeah, no, there's, um, so there's something to that. I think that it is. It's almost like you have to a little luck, but that, like it's what's happening at Michigan right now. It's all this stuff. It's like once you hit on it a little bit, you've got to capture it and you've got to build mm-hmm. it. So I think they're still like in maybe the uh, defensively, they're sort of in the reset, little luck. Big development and then go sell that, but they might be a cycle or two away from really to go going to sell that. Um, all right, short answer, Nathan. Defensively, right now, do we believe that Ohio State is in a position to possibly sustain a mini dynasty with its defense? If the secondary improvement is real, yes, because the offense will continue to be as good as it is. Steven? I wish we could give other answers besides yes and no. Um, because I, I want to say, did, sh- sort of, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want to say, sure, so bad, but yes, just it's just because, like, is a, what is a millennial sure, by the way? Like, that it to me, sure, kind of sounds like yes, but the way you said it, I understand Cone. that it does not mean yes, yeah. It's so, like, <laughs> all right, man, <laughs> if you there, say so, <laughs> you got oh, it, you got it, fam, you got it. That, like, that actually is your answer. All right, yeah. man, if you say so. Because, I mean, we're four years into this. Because I think Nathan's answer is correct. It's like, if this happens, how many years in a row do we get to go, if this happens, then the defense will be better before we just stop believing in it? You can only – the further and further you get from the last time you did something, the less and less you can rely on it. And I get Larry Johnson is – 
probably is one of the greatest defensive line coaches in college football history. Period. Chase Young, Bosa Brothers, amen. We are four years since Chase Young has played college football. We are a decade almost since, you know, Joey Bosa has played college football. We're like six years since Nick Bosa has played college football. And he's coming off a cycle where he struck out. And I don't think you should be allowed to just go, oh, it's the whoever it was. If Nick Saban was coming off a bad cycle, it'd be like, yeah, that's cool and all that. But like, you didn't do that last time. So I do think at some point you can't just keep going, look at what this guy did five years ago and allow that to just be the reason why we have any worries about him, especially as the the way you have to go about accumulating ch- talent is changing. And we're talking about a situation where – what we said the problems with the defense have been. The secondary has been bad. Well, we know why the secondary has been bad. Kerry Combs left, and it went downhill ever since outside the one year Jeff Halfley was here. The defensive line doesn't get home. And it's been the same guy for a decade. Which is why this defensive conversation, I don't think it did. It can't start with Larry Johnson. It, it for can. a long time, you could have started any defensive conversation like this about Ohio State with Larry Johnson. Well, mm-hmm. he's going to identify, he's going to close, he's going to develop. And that is a great place to start in modern college football. You can't be there. Which is why we have to talk a lot about Tim Walton. We have to talk a lot about mm-hmm. the potential of James Laurinaitis. We have to talk about Perry Eliana. We have to talk Jim, about Jim Knowles' stability and scheme because it can't be a Larry Johnson conversation first when you're trying to look four or five years into the future. I think it is a maybe that leans closer to yes than no, or maybe even a probably. Eh, probably. That's like an old man, sure. Eh, yeah. Probably. So, you know, not a guarantee, but also if the offense is good enough and then we're going to get the schedule and structure right now, if that's in your favor and the defense is part three of the three parts, Nathan, I don't know that the defense will hold them back. It might be good enough for the other two things to allow it to happen. Right. Yeah. I think the probably is based on uh, if the quarterback play, not the quarterback recruiting, the quarterback play stays at the level that Ohio State has become accustomed to going back now to 2018, then yes, I I think that the defense will be good enough, but it's got to stay at that high level. I don't know that this, I, 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 based on what we're seeing right now, I don't know how soon I think Ohio State goes back to having like a dominant defense. All right. When we come back, we'll talk about schedules. We'll talk about structure because the 12 team playoff is an absolute huge part of this discussion. We'll do all that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, I'm going to run through a little history here first, because starting with the Supersofts, I I picked five chunks of Ohio State history where I think a mini dynasty would have been possible. And why didn't it happen? And I'm not going to pretend, I'm not going to say, well, you know, the interior defensive line in 1969, really, it's not that. This is like, yeah, you look in the record books and see what happened. So Ohio State, the first chunk is 68-69-70. Now, they get credit in their eight national titles for a title in 70, which is a joke. They lost their bowl game. (laughs) Yeah. And they have a na- they still got a national title. It's it's unbelievable. I really I've had fights about this. I think it's six, not eight. They claim eight. A lot of other schools claim goofy stuff. 1970 is their worst one. You can't lose your bowl and then be like, yeah, it's it's fine. 1968 to win the national title. 1969, they're undefeated. They go lose at Michigan. It's it's the rise of Bo. It's did some Ohio State guys get sick on the train? Like it's a whole bunch of stuff, but they're probably the best team in the country again in 69 and they lose to Michigan and that's it. And then in 1970, they lose the Rose Bowl to Stanford. They're undefeated. They're number two in the country. Number one, Texas loses the Cotton Bowl before the Rose Bowl. So Ohio State knows if they win the Rose Bowl, they're the national champs. 
They're number two and number one lost. They're up. They're 10 and a half point favorites. They're ahead entering the fourth quarter. And Jim Plunkett for Stanford, number 12 Stanford, throws two touchdown passes in the fourth quarter and they lose. Imagine covering that game. It's like, oh, the Super Softs. Everybody loves the Super Softs. Woody, Woody's a legend. Oh my God. They absolutely chucked a sure thing. They lost to Stanford. Stanford as 10 and a half point favorites with a fourth quarter lead when number one lost. So you can't count it. I don't think people say, oh, the Super Softs, they were a mini dynasty. They won it in 68. And then in 1970, they uh, got handed a free national title, <laughs> even though they lost a bowl game. Nobody thinks of it that way. So if you want to claim the eighth national title, that's fine. College football back then was goofy. So, but, but they missed an opportunity there. They were awesome. They did not max out what they could have been. And I, I don't think Rex Kern or Jack Tatum, if he was around, or anybody like would come on and be like, no, 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 you're wrong. We were complete. We think we maxed out with what we did. They were great, but they could have been even greater. 73, 74, 75, the Archie, the big three years of Archie. They finished two, four, and four. They finished 10 and 0 and 1, 10 and 2, and 11 and 1. In 1973, they're number one and they tie Michigan. They finished number two. In 1974, they're number one and they lose to Michigan State and then they lose to USC in the Rose Bowl. In 1975, they're number one undefeated the whole year. They lose the Rose Bowl to UCLA in Archie's last game. What are you doing? This is when I was going through and doing my thing about uh, they should, you know, I was researching how many first-team All-Americans they've had in different decades. They had like 22 first-team All-Americans in the 70s. Everybody was like, you know what? All the best players in the country, they're at Ohio State. And they didn't win a national title. They did not win an actual national title in the 70s. How did they not do this? They're number one with the two-time Heisman winner, and they lose to UCLA in the Rose Bowl. That that should have been two times. There's zero titles in 73, 74, 75. Probably should have been two. Probably should have been two in 68, 69, 70. It's a real one and one fake one. Should have been two real ones. Coop, 95, 96, 97, 98. They finished number six, number two, number 12, number six. 1995, they're number two. They lose to Michigan. And then they lose the Citrus Bowl to Tennessee, but they lose to Michigan. 96, they're number two. They lose to Michigan. I don't know why I'm doing this to people. It's like, yeah, Doug, I know. (laughs) John Cooper lost to Michigan? When? What? <laughs> hey, uh, Cooper, you know, hey, if you had not lost to Michigan, you know, how do you think you'd be remembered differently? If you say, say you were 10, 2, and 1 instead of 2, 10, and 1. <laughs> oh, you know, it's just a little different. 97, they lose to Penn State, Michigan, and Florida State, but they're really good still. 98, they're number one to lose to Michigan State next Saban. So 95, 96, 98, they're, they're as good as anybody. Like, this is, this is Eddie George, Orlando Pace, Sean Springs. Like, this is ter- – David Boston, right? This is dominant talent, and they win none. Now, this is a little bit of a structure conversation. Give Coop a 12-team playoff, and let's see what happens. Oh, you mean you know, like you can lose to Michigan and still win the national title? Can I get in the time machine right now? That's possible? Yeah, it's going to be possible starting next year. So they should have won. They, I mean, they had the talent to win multiple, and they did. 02 to 07, if you lump this together, right? 02, they win the national title. 03, they lose to Wisconsin and they lose to Michigan. They finish number four in the country. 204 is or 2004 is a reset year. We know that. Then 5, 6, 7, 5, they lose to Texas and Vince Young. Then they lose to Penn State. In the final rankings going into bowl season, 
Texas and Penn State are both in the top three. Ohio State's number four in a four-team playoff. Ohio State's in a four-team playoff, taking their shot with Troy Smith, A.J. Hawk, Dante Whitner, Nick Mandigold, Bobby Carpenter, Santonio Holmes, Ted Ginn Jr., Anthony Gonzalez. You take your shot. Structure would have helped them in 05. I think I've always said, like, the 05 team is really, they, they were probably a better, you know, when you, you have to include them, even though they made national title games in 06 and 07. 05 was probably even closer. 06, we know what happened. 07, they lose to Illinois, and then they lose to LSU in the national championship game. That, you know, they get one in 02. Should they have won another one in there? Could they have won three in six years? They could have. But I don't know that you look at 06 and 07 and say should. I think we saw, okay, now they're a little short against the SEC. Right. Oh, five structure would have helped them. But I don't I actually think they're not as close there because I think actually that's sort of like an on field talent thing. And then 13, 14, 15, 13 is the one that kills. Them. This is 13 and fi- 13 and 15. They lose to Michigan State. That's it. Like eliminate Mark D'Antonio, alien abduct Mark D'Antonio, because 13, if they beat B- Michigan State in the Big Ten title game, they're going to the national championship game. 14, they win it. 15, they lose to Michigan State in the regular season. I'm not saying they should have won three in a row, 13, 14, 15, but one is the over-under on titles for 13, 14, 15 is probably one and a half, and they went under. So those are the stretches where I would say Ohio State had shots at many dynasties. That's five five stretches since the, the late 60s, and none of them became many dynasties. And so I'm not, we can't, I'm not going to sit here and like break down the offense and the defense, but Nathan, I think there are some structural things that with what college football is going to be starting in 2024, that would have helped them in the past. So Colin's point in the question that maybe they've missed it. I think I disagree with that. I actually think their chances are better because the structure will help them. Because I think when you look at this, yes, they were number one and they went and lost in the Rose Bowl to UCLA. They have some of those. They also have some. They're absolutely talented enough. And they lost a game in the regular season. You can't lose. That was it. So I, I think their chances, Nathan, will be increased for a mini dynasty as opposed to these five stretches where they did not get it done. I think that's really the primary conversation here. Does the 12-team playoff enhance or dehance? Not a word. Their chances at a mini-dynasty, I would say enhance. Nathan, what would you say? I think it should be enhanced because clearly, like, every time you're reading off one of those things, it was like, you know, they're right there. And um, it's not because they've gone through a a long dip of talent. It's just a matter of... um, one little trip up along the way. And like the, the, the new structure will it, it yes, you, it's going to give you more room to get tripped up in the playoff because let's look at last year, for example, the, they wouldn't have been in the top four and had a buy because it didn't win the big 10. They would have had to go an extra round in order to get into a semifinal and, and a national championship situation there. Uh, so with Georgia um, in the year before, by the way, when they lost to Alabama, so it, it, it's going to put some, some extra onus on that, but it, it just it's it, it, there's virtually no chance of getting tripped up before that. They'll always be in the mix. They'll always be playing in that tournament and have a chance to win the national championship. And a couple of things that jumped out to me real quick that you went through that list. 2013, I think, is a great year to pick out there as being a missed opportunity because in 2016, they're back in the playoff 
if they get something done in 2013, that's three years later. Who else do you have for that 2016 team because of exposure, because of the cachet that you have from a recruiting standpoint? Like, Do you get another defensive player or two that makes a difference or offensive player? Actually, more of the case in 2016 that makes a difference for, for that team. You don't know, but there's like a domino effect to some of this. And then the other thing that came up too, though, like there's nobody who does a Clemson podcast who's talking about in the same way, like the missed opportunities of the Dabo Swinney era. And there's nobody talking about the missed opportunities in the same way of the Nick Saban era at Alabama. So it's like, does the, does the coach make the mini dynasty? Does the great coach make the mini dynasty or does the mini dynasty make the great coach? I don't know if I know the answer to that. It's probably a separate podcast, but there's an element of which now that Ryan day is, is broadening his influence in the program that this is a little bit of a test of, of whether he gets that duck or not. To that point, the very next year when they win the national title, I mean, it basically set the stage for what the 2017 recruiting class was. You get Sean Wade earlier in that day before they win the national title, I believe. And then we mm-hmm. know how the rest of that t- uh, class shapes out with Chase Young, Jeff Okuda. starts with winning that national title, which to Dave's point, I mean, national titles can go a long way in helping building recruiting classes. I also took from that, why does it feel like Jim Trestle is the only Ohio State coach who has completely maximized his tenure as Ohio State's head coach? Like, there's no, there's no like, um, you did something you weren't supposed to do moment. Because even it was all left on the table. Even the losses. I mean, Vince Young is Vince Young. Like you lost to that. Kudos. You lose to a Florida team at the the beginning of the SEC's takeover of college football. It's a bad loss, but like, okay, that's who you ended up losing to. We lost to LSU, kind of in the same vein the next year. I don't, Jim Trussell doesn't have a bunch of losses where you're like looking at it a decade later, like, I cannot believe you lost that game. And all these other coaches, whether it's Cooper, whether it's even Woody, oh, oh, holy Woody, Urban Meyer, they all have these losses where Cooper, they all have these losses where you're like, huh? That's who you lost to that year? Well, he did lose his job. There's the, there's that little wrinkle I mean, at the end of it. Yeah, who? That, who Jim Russell. Yeah. yeah, but that had nothing to do yeah, with like not, football not for losing. losing. Yeah. No, but you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like that's that's the the one redeeming snitching. quality he has is not is not having what I think what Stephen <laughs> is saying is true. I just find it it's ironic that it comes in that package. Yeah, who knew that we were doing a podcast about Woody Hayes underachiever? I don't know that we knew we were doing that today. It's like yeah. Woody, what's up? Come on, UCLA, come on, Woody, yeah. but. So I do think to Steven, I think you you make a very good point there. Those five eras that I cited, I think the the, old, the Trestle one is the only one where you would say in the end they probably just weren't good enough. Like they mm-hmm. were right there, but they weren't quite good enough. Were the Supersofts good enough to win more? Yeah. Was were the were the Archie Buckeyes good enough to win at least one? Yeah. Were the Coop teams talented enough to win one? Yeah. Ohio State in thirteen and fifteen, but and I didn't include sixteen on purpose because I don't think they were good enough in sixteen. No. So like 16, I was like, oh, Doug, 13, 14, 15, why didn't you include 16? Because they shouldn't have been in the playoff. They weren't good enough. And then I think they got to a spot. So I just like, I, 16 is a weird fluke to me. They were much closer in 15 and 13 to me from a talent level, from having what you need to have than they were in 16 with with Curtis Samuel one-man offense. So, you know, I, I, I do think maybe, it's like, could Ryan Day like thread the needle on this stuff of, okay, well... Because Ryan Day, he's, he's not really urban, you know. He's maybe not going to recruit nationally quite like Coop, but 
Is he like trestle with a more aggressive offensive scheme? I, I don't know, but is there a way to sort of have a bunch of opportunities, but maximize them a little bit more? I don't think, and we have to wrap this up in the end, when we think about the Ryan day era, and I think there's some yes and some no in this, Nathan, is it that they haven't been good enough? Or is it that they have been good enough and they haven't gotten it done in the moments when they were right there for the taking, right? Is it closer to the trestle missed opportunity? Again, missed opportunity in quotes. It's a mini dynasty podcast. Or is it closer to the Woody Cooper urban missed opportunities? What what do we think of? Because Ryan Day, right? They've made the playoff three times in four years here. Well, but here's the thing. And I know we can't extend this podcast another half hour as much as we'd like to (laughs) under these circumstances. But we're talking about mini dynasties. And we're, we, we can point to other places who've had many dynasties. None of them are, are north. And so here's the other thing. Like what that's the if Ohio State gets it done, it's going to be an even bigger accomplishment in some ways than when than Dabo Swinney doing it at Clemson and 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 Nick Saban certainly doing it at Alabama and some of the other ones that we've seen, because it's just not done in the north. And when Ohio State has been right there on the cusp. I know they didn't play LSU in 2019, but they're still they're they're still going up against. Davos Swinney's mini dynasty, 2020, you run into Alabama, 2022, you run into Georgia. Like, so that's the one thing. This is the one where I'm closest to voting no, that maybe they just don't have what it'll take because maybe there is that geographic lid and that even when they are good, there's always going to be so many teams in the South, that one team in the South that's always rising up, that's the ultimate kind of block, not to, to ever win a national championship, but to ever get a run of them going. This is the only Northern college football team podcast where we could have a mini dynasty conversation. Yeah. They're not having many dynasty, dynasty conversations on the Oregon podcast or the Washington podcast or the Michigan podcast, even, or the Penn state podcast. They're just trying to get over the hump once mm-hmm. we're like, Hey, they're right there. Why aren't they getting it multiple times? Which I think is, is a, a point well said. And listen, there's NIL stuff here that we have to factor in a little bit. I think there's the idea of, Opening up a world where if you think Michigan's going to be consistently good, but you don't have to beat Michigan to win a national title, I think that's really valuable to this conversation. I think that's a structural conversation because that's 1969, Ohio State, if they would have liked an opportunity to win a national title after losing to Michigan, right? Ask John Cooper, would you like to win a national title after losing to Michigan? Michigan's been in their way sometimes. Ask Ohio State, hey, you lost to Michigan State twice, but you still could have made a playoff. Give Urban Meyer those playoff opportunities in the 12-team playoff. I just think the structure in the end is going to help them. Steven, we'll give you the last words and we got to get out of here. I vote in the end that the structure, the schedule, everything about the new modern era of college football, I do think they can do it. I think it's a yes on structure and schedule. Steven, we'll, we'll, Nathan, real quick, are you a yes, a no, or a sure on structure schedule this part of it? I think if we're going to include what I was just talking about in the structure and schedule, I would be a no vote. Yep. Okay. Steven, we'll wrap with you. I think I'm yes here, and I think I'm the most confident in this one because so much of this is just can Ohio State get on the stage? And then football is football. Stuff happens. Like They lost a football game to Clemson. I'm throwing out Bama because half their team had COVID, so that is what it is in a weird year. They just lost a football game to Georgia. And a couple other things go differently in the football game. They win that game. I think all the other elements, Ohio State has put together a team that – can get hot in a playoff just because of how it plays football. And then anything, but then once you get on the field with these guys, anything can happen. And I've seen enough competitive football games from Ohio State against those type of teams 
post-2016 that let me think that, yeah, I think they can do it. I think the structural stuff and then the offensive stuff I'm pretty confident in without hesitation. Yeah, I'm going to make a TikTok dance out of that answer, right? I'm going to make an Instagram story out of Steven's answer because I think I agree with with all of that. I'm going to do like I floss. I do like a weird floss yeah. thing. It's not really flossing, but it's old man flossing. I'm old man flossing for that answer. Okay. Uh, I feel like there's more to this, which is good. And we'll, we have plenty of time to dive back into this. But Colin made us do this now. Thank you, Colin, for the great idea, the great rant, the great question that got us started on this, by the way. So last week of spring football for Ohio State, spring game on Saturday. We're talking to Ryan Day on Wednesday. Make sure you stick with cleveland.com slash OSU and this podcast for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.